podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. Yeah. (laughs) That's what happens when we don't do it for a week. (laughs) Yeah. So we want to talk about something that we have talked about in the past in various ways. Um, I think we did an episode when we had Ask the Mats which was but what we did before Faith and Fable. Really? I think so. I just remember it was at Mark and Elena's house. Yeah, that would be it then. Yep. Um, so as, as pastors, you and I were regularly uh, told by people that they want to grow, um, that they want to be used by God, that they want to move into leadership, so on and so forth. Uh, and obviously those are all very good desires, um, but then we typically follow that up by asking then what is their plan? <laughs> Uh, and why? So, what's what's your pathway to growth? Uh, and that is it, it, that is not then uncommon to be met with well-intentioned but typically vague responses, such as you went, you know, I just I need to get into the Word more. I need to pray more. I, I just need, want to be godly. Yeah, I need to stop doing certain sins. Uh, the li- the list goes on, and those are all fine. But we would say those are insufficient, uh, and the reason is because those are all activities. Uh, just stuff you do. And the tendency of most people is to equate doing something or not doing something perhaps with spiritual growth. Now, certain actions may be indications of growth, but they don't necessarily equal growth. So what we want to do here are give some principles uh, that are not action-based, but more or less character-based. And because biblically it is from the character of the heart that true Christ-likeness is attained and therefore true Christian growth is attained. So we want to give you three principles or what we could just call character qualities that must be present if you want to grow as a Christian. Uh, And then second, we want to give some quick non-negotiables that we think might help cultivate some of those qualities. Um, Just as an aside, when people start expressing interest in leadership or positions of influence in the church, uh, this is our grid uh, for determining if we think they're ready yet yeah. to be considered. Uh, obviously, there are more qualities for something like eldership uh, that are outlined in the New Testament, but for us, this is where it begins. If these three are not present in a person for a sustained period of time, uh, we just, at that point, simply won't consider them for anything uh, in terms of leadership. Additionally, uh, these are excellent principles to examine your own life with if you're wanting to disciple somebody else. If these are not present in you, Uh, You should not yet be seeking to disciple. Rather, you should be finding someone with these qualities who can start discipling you. So what are the three principles? Uh, We're going to use this acronym called FAT, F-A-T, Faithful, Available, and Teachable. So uh, we want to be a fat Christian. I I found out, uh, I don't know if you knew this, that this is actually an acronym that they use in some business uh, leadership development. Um, I didn't know that. And 
and the way I found that out was I mentioned that to a guy in the business world. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we had training seminars on that um, <laughs> at his corporation. But what was interesting was the person who said that, I was talking to him about his need to be a fat Christian, and he wasn't. And then once I told him that, it was, oh, yeah, yeah, I know all about that. And so it was almost like because he went through their seminar that, yeah, yeah, I got that. And it's like, actually, <laughs> you don't, yes. So, which is why I'm talking to you. So uh, if, if that's you, if you're listening, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of this before, um, don't presume, therefore, that makes you that. Uh, it's sort of like the Titus II woman. You know, there we, we had a class years ago uh, that we would take uh, uh, ladies through and on Titus 2 and becoming that type of a lady described in Titus chapter 2. And and what was interesting was they assumed that at the end of the class that they now qualified as a Titus 2. It's like, no. Because they've no. understood yeah, concepts. Yeah, they, they actually went through the class, but that doesn't mean anything has changed. So uh, faithful, available, teachable, that that's the idea. Um, and what we're, we are arguing is that all three have to be present. So if you have one or two without the third, you will always only and ever drift backwards. And so we see a lot of people with two of them, but what's very rare for both of us as pastors is to find people who possess all three. And, and what ends up happening is people don't grow, um, they end up not being able to be fruitfully used. In fact, some of them, they want to be used, you give them a chance, and then especially that faithfulness or that uh, availability comes in and they fall short because they can't come, they can't, they can't do the things necessary, they're always chasing time because they're not being faithful to something. Mm -hmm. um, again, though, worth note, noting that these are not activities, but decisions, and the decisions then flow from convictions, and that's the key. The reason you're faithful, available, and teachable is that there's some driving convictions behind all this. Yeah, and, and it, especially when you're thinking about leadership, um, typically a person will get into leadership because they did possess all three of those. Um, and in my experience, the one that I've seen begin to fade out is that third one, which is teachable. They'll, they'll be faithful, they'll be available, but then all of a sudden they're just not teachable anymore because it's like they've arrived. Yeah. And all of a sudden, without them knowing it, they've found themselves becoming less useful or fruitful, if you could put it that way. So, um, okay, so that, that's the concept. Um, so we've talked about that in the past, so we won't develop a, take a whole episode to develop that. Rather, we want to discuss okay, what are some non-negotiables now to maybe help achieve those three categories? Uh, and we're going to use 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, to uh, talk about some of this. But the first non-negotiable that every Christian should have in their life is that they must at some point begin to put off sin. Uh, Peter says, therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So most people think reading the Bible and learning is a good place to begin. Uh, they think they just need to read more, study more, talk about Scripture more, thinking that that will naturally lead to holiness. Um, but before you get to the put-on of the Word, uh, you must first accomplish the put-off. Um, and in this text, what are we to put off? Well, we're to put off 
sin. Um, so many wonder why they're not growing. Uh, they read their Bible, they pray. Many even get passionate about right teaching, passionate about sound doctrine. Uh, they'll even fight for it. They'll argue over it. They'll publicly rebuke others who seem to be even the slightest bit off from sound doctrine. But Peter says none of that equals maturity. In fact, it may be a sign of immaturity, um, great immaturity. Uh, rather, before you get hot and heavy about sound doctrine, uh, Peter says that you must first lay aside sin. And this is really huge. If you don't hear what Matt's saying here, you're going to miss the whole point of what Peter is saying in that passage. So listen. Yeah. So uh, first of all, notice notice the word all in this passage. Again, keywords are typically the smallest. Uh, so not some, but he says all. Uh, and that word all is repeated three times. So all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all that's supposed to be, and all slander. Yeah. Um, that's all to be laid aside, right? Yes, yeah, those are the specific sins there in that uh, text. Um, and it's an interesting selection. Um, he could have chosen many sins, um, hmm. but he chose these sins, and so the question, of course, is why? Uh, well, the, in the context, Peter is speaking into the church, uh, and so these are typical sins committed among the body um, to one another, in other words, and Peter is serious about unity, and these kinds of sins always threaten unity. Um, but also, additionally, these are sins which fight against rightly receiving the word, which is the whole point of that those verses, and then putting it into actions. Uh, they're sins typically involving the tongue or your mouth or words. Uh, and so how do you rightly receive and apply God's word when your own words are being used for evil? Um, and so there's a subtle contrast there taking place. The point, however, is you cannot go immediately to the word to grow in order to receive and apply it or just put it on, you must first put off sin. Yeah, but that's such a crazy thing because if you were to ask, I, I mean, I would be tempted to ask a person, hey, um, what's your Bible intake? How? Tell me about your spiritual disciplines. Are you praying? Are you in the word consistently, that kind of thing. And but what you've just said is that that's the wrong approach. The first thing you want to examine, and it's correct. I mean, it doesn't come across that way in the English, but it's very evident in the Greek. Um, that until you've done this, until you've resolved these things, these things have been put away, you will not be like a newborn babe. And so I've learned over the years that um this will shock you, that the Word of God really is true. Huh. <laughs> Go figure, right? Uh, so when I get a person coming in and they're talking to me about they feel dead inside, they feel like they're going nowhere, they try to read the Bible, but there's just, they don't even want to, and then when they, and, and they feel good. I feel, I struggle with apathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all have faced that. I actually begin to look at these sins and and ask them, about that. And what's interesting is that I've never found an example where it's not true. There's there's things in their life that they're just simply not putting away, and yet they're thinking they can somehow grow. And it's like, no, no, these things just have to come off, mm -hmm. um, and it's so important. So that then leads to the second point. Actually, is, can I say something? Yeah, you um, can say as much as you want. I, uh, I remember um, D.A. Carson um, pre preaches an excellent sermon uh, out of John 20 about doubting Thomas. And the point there is about uh, unbelief or having doubt um, in Jesus. And 
he, t- he talks about how when he was a young pastor, he rarely was doubt the result of an intellectual misunderstanding or inability to grasp a theological concept. And rarely was doubt the result of some catastrophe hitting your life, like a great pain or tribulation that you're walking through where you blame God and you get angry at him. He said most often, uh, doubt and unbelief creeps in uh, over time through a bunch of really, really bad small decisions. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. yeah. And and he, he would have regularly like younger men, like 20s, early 30s, come into his office and say, I'm just struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with apathy, lack of passion. And he's like, my opening question to them is, with whom are you sleeping other than your wife? <laughs> or hmm. what are you doing on the internet? Or what are you, whatever. Um, because he understood this and he's saying, your, your issue is not, you're missing some technique to become holy or passionate about God. Your problem is you're biting in sin and yes. you've not learned to yet put that off. And which we could go so many directions on that, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, such, such a simple thing. Where it begins, non-negotiable. Yep. And, and so with that, once you deal with that, and that's where I would argue that uh, many of our listeners, without even knowing them personally, that's where they really should stop the podcast and pull over to the side of the road or stop their jogging or whatever they're doing and just say, all right. <laughs> the sin of the divided heart. Right. That's, yes. You, you 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 love the gospel. You love Christ. You love His Word, but over time, we let these other neutral realities creep into our life that begin to grab our hearts. And this is I'm so I'm going to go off the definitely off the script here. Um, so hold on, because <laughs> I mean you have no idea where I'm going. Um, so this this is again one of my beefs against that whole gospel centered kind of concept is. But isn't it good to know that Jesus did it for you? That kind of thing, that the gospel is that we cannot be good enough. We will never earn our salvation, which is true. Um, And so when you look at the various commands in the New Testament, you can beat yourself up and trap yourself, but you really need to understand that Jesus is our law keeper. He's the one that perfectly did it for us. And so relax, you're you're forgiven. And what, what inadvertently happens is I find people remaining or abiding in sin, like you said, because they're like, well, Jesus did it for me. And so they literally become what Paul says in chapter 5 and 6 of Romans. Oh, so I just need to continue to sin so grace can abound. He's like, no, <laughs> no, not, not at all. And so you look at the text. So here's Peter. After, if there's a man who understands the gospel, it's Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he says, look, you can't, take in the word because you haven't yet put off these things, right? Right. Uh, Then I think of James, the very first book of the New Testament. I I just took our FOF class through a few verses in there where he says that we are to consider nothing but joy when we fall into our trials because it's a testing of the faith which produces maturity. But then he says, um, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you. So then he gives you this glorious promise, and then he says, the very next verse, but let him ask in faith and not doubting. Uh, and, and then he goes on to describe that the doubting man is literally two-souled, what you just described. There's these divided uh, passions, and, um, and because he's two-souled, he's tossed here and there by the winds, and he, he says this, this is very non gospel sounding, okay? He says, let not that man 
expect that he will receive anything. And it's like, well, that's just not really gospel, James, under the inspiration of spirit. (laughs) You know, and so I think that it's worth everyone hearing that, that if, if you, again, you come into your pastor's office, you're struggling, this is happening, that's happening, there's, there's sin here. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it, it's not that hard. And if yeah. you fooled yourself into thinking, look, I'm in Christ, the gospel conquers all things, blah, 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 then I'm not sure you even grasp the gospel yet. But I also think that a lot of pastors today are not helping them understand that because they... I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, you are. It is. I mean, so when when people come in and they're they're asking that very question of what what am I doing wrong or what do I need to do better, and we start poking and prying and asking, what we're trying to figure out is okay, what are those uh, unresolved sins or what are those sins that you're still holding on to too mm-hmm. tightly? It's not because we're trying to make you feel guilty. It's because it's where it has to begin. Absolutely. Okay. So let's assume that has been accomplished. Once you put away sin, now you can begin the process of receiving and applying the word rightly. So there he says in verse 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Another intriguing little phrase. How do you grow in your salvation? So there you have it, though. If you want to grow with respect to your salvation, you need to put off sin. But secondly, you also need to begin to long for that pure milk of the word. Notice how you're to receive the word. Peter says you are to long for it. A very common statement we'll hear from people is that they're struggling with apathy or they struggle to be in the word on a consistent, disciplined basis. Well, Peter doesn't say when you long for it, receive it. Rather, he says longing for it, for, for it, uh, for, rather longing for the word is a command, which means it's something to be obeyed. So you're not passively waiting for now that I, I, I'm desiring it, I'll long for it. Yeah. He's saying, because you don't long for it, you should long for it. Right. <laughs> so in other words, it has little to do with your feelings uh, and a lot more to do with just simple obedience. So the imagery of a newborn babe longing for milk is a good one because any, anybody that's been around a newborn babe understands that's a very basic desire. Um, just as a baby can't grow without a steady diet of nutritious milk, so a Christian will never grow without a steady diet of the Word. There are many things people will run to, such as fellowship, music, church activities, prayer, accountability partners, uh, because they've not yet simply settled in their mind that the purity of the Word is God's true catalyst. Unless a Word is in you, in other words, you do not possess the fuel to grow. And that's such a simple but amazing thing. We, we lack a desire, and so we replace it. And we think that if we get doing that and doing this, um, somehow... I'll, I'll magically want yeah, the word, yeah. And, 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 but we won't simply begin the obedience part. So the point is very simple but profoundly important. Show me a person who's stagnant, going backwards in their growth, and I'll show you a person who is not on a steady diet of the word. There's no other way to grow, period. You can do a lot of spiritual-sounding things, but without the Word, you are only practicing religiosity. Yeah. Uh, a third non-negotiable. So you got to put off sin. Second one, put on the Word. Then the third one we would say is that Sunday gathering. Uh, go to church, in other words. <laughs> um, so Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, it is amazing, uh, we think, how many um, we talk to that have still not made the Sunday morning gathering with their church an utter non-negotiable in their life. Um, it's also amazing how many will make major life decisions for things not involving the soul yeah. at all. Um, so for example, many will move for many reasons, uh, family, career, schooling, fill in the blank. Um, but we find that the local church is rarely considered in those decisions. Yep. Uh, in our consumerism, we think lightly of the local church because when we move, you know, we can just find another one. Uh, and if there is no good church there to where we're moving, we're just pretty easily content to settle for something less or, you know, we'll just go online and listen to sermons or something like that. Um, but the question is, why would you move for something as temporal as education or work, but you will move or maybe not move at the cost of something eternal, namely your, your own soul? See, let me jump in. It's, unless you've got it coming, no. Um, so I, I listen to people and they say, well, the drive, the drive is just too much of a drive. And I'm like, you commute an hour a, one way to go to work five days a week, and you're not willing to commute 20 minutes to get to a church? Mm -hmm. 30 minutes? Really? Really? Once a week? You can't do that, or it's too early. <laughs> and it's like, really? What time do you get up for work? Well, I get up at work for work at 5.30. And so being at church, like your church starts at 9, mm -hmm. really? Getting there at by 9? You already, your body probably is already waking up. Um, they're all just simple decisions that say, I, the church is not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about other things, comfort, rest, whatever. Yeah. Anyhow, go ahead. Just a rant. No, I mean, it's a good point. Um, so we would say if you do need to move for school or you need to w move for work, uh, you're a wise person if you base that decision first upon the presence of a good, faithful local church. And if there isn't one, then just to put it bluntly, that makes your decision very easy. Um, but if your highest desire is the degree or the salary, it's just speaking much of your heart. Yeah. Uh, and for those who do attend a solid church, but they have jobs that require them to work Sundays, um, it is somewhat, I mean, it's that's alarming to us as well. Um, they miss many weeks out of the month due to the requirement for them to work. The question we would have is, are you really faithful to that Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 when that kind of thing is happening? Um, so again, let us consider how to stimulate to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm not certain how you obey that when you're gone more times than you are present. And and let me throw in a caveat, but but I my fear in throwing this caveat uh, in is that everyone will grab it and apply it to themselves. Okay, but there's a difference between you have no choice and one where you do have a choice. Um, I mean, in in the days of in Corinthian in the church, uh, city of Corinth, right? They they had the slaves would come in later because they had they were slaves. It's not like they had freedoms. Uh, and by the time they got there, the food was eaten, the wine was dr drunk, drank, drunken, 
drink. I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, it was down yeah, the throat gone. and people were drunk. Um, and you know, you would not be able to say, well, you're in sin because mm-hmm. you got to church late because you're a slave. That's one thing. Um, since, since we have people all around the world who it's like, this is a difficulty. Um, but it's another thing when you make career choices that well, when you're when you're living in the West and you do have freedoms, yeah. Now we're talking about a whole different thing. It's like, are you really aware that that this is going to cost? And if so, do you, what's your plan? Uh, I think that's the next thing I always listen for is what is the plan that you have? Uh, because we have like in my my church, you, yours too. Uh, we have firefighters, we have police officers, and they're on this weird rotational schedule, and there's not much that can be done, so they could quit. I guess, um, but there's also needs to be some factoring in of how, how are we going to adjust it? But what does disturb me is if you have a job on a rotational schedule and so you're going to miss Sundays just because it's the way it works, and then on your days that you're not working on a Sunday, you choose to do something else, there's a there's a bigger problem at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like... Okay, so why are you traveling? Why why would you do that? Why would you miss another Sunday and another Sunday? Another, you know, one of the great evils are the cabins in Wisconsin. People got to go away. Well, we buy a cabin, we need to use it. And I had to work last Sunday, so I'm going to take this Sunday off. And next thing you know, they're missing 30 Sundays out of a year and between sickness and birthdays and everything else. Anyhow. Yeah. yeah the, the challenge and all that is we're, we are masters of rationalization. And so we're always the exception. Yes. And so I, I would just say, I mean, so that, that's Hebrews 10, but then in chapter 12, yeah. the writer goes on to say that we must lay aside, keyword, every encumbrance, which is a term meaning something neutral. Uh, it's not something sinful. It's just an encumbrance. Um, so if something like a job is encumbering you from obedience to Hebrews 10, 25, I would say it begins by obeying 12.1, which is now lay it aside. Uh, next one is, are you really faithful if you're missing Sunday gathering to Colossians 3.16, uh, which is a command that says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom. How? Teaching and admonishing another, one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. It is a challenge to faithfully do that when you're not there. <laughs> Um, the command here is given in the context of the local church, and so this is a corporate command which requires you uh, first gather with the corporate body. How do you, you're, to, you're to sing with the body. This isn't you in your car with headphones on and whatever, it's you're, you're with the body. Um, so the question we'll often ask people is, why do you think God would bless such decisions? Um, you know, choosing whatever, to constantly cause you to miss Sunday gathering. First, you're buying into the lie that there will somehow be blessing when choosing anything over the gathering of the body. Uh, But second, you ought not be surprised when you don't grow, and certainly when you're not used in something like leadership. You're you're just simply not available, and so you can't possibly be faithful. We live in a day in which you can stream sermons, podcasts, teachings, and music right into your earbuds. And so we often feel like we're among the body and like we're growing. But if if you're one of those, we would say subtract how much listening to sermons, podcasts, worship music you do on a given month from the amount of times you're actually gathering with the body 
to hear sermons and sing with the body. And that will give you the truth of how much you're actually gathering in a manner that God has outlined for the church. You know, I, I'm thinking as, as you're talking about that, again, COVID created an excuse for all sorts of people to disconnect. Um, it's fascinating how many churches are still uh, not seeing the bulk of their membership back. Um, and so they're stuck with keeping live stream services because people like that. Um, but what I'm, I'm, I'm just in my own mind, I'm thinking if, if somebody that you and I might know who stopped coming to our church or they started doing things online, if they stayed out of the church for, let's say, two, three months, how different would your church look like? I don't know if you, in your mind's eye, can cast yourself backwards three months, but you said you had uh, a, a very good, solid number of people on Sunday, and there's so many of them new. When I go up there to preach uh, as a guest speaker, I don't know most of them. And I'm just thinking about, again, what you just said. You buy into the idea that, well, we're still connected. I'm watching live stream. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm doing this and that. But then you then you walk back into your church and you're like, okay, I need to do this. All I guess I'm trying to say is you need to be ready to be maybe shocked because you're going to get people who will come up and greet you like your first-time visitor because they've been faithfully coming each week and they've never seen your face. Um, that's all I guess I'm saying is yeah. if for anyone who's hearing this and you should not be offended um, if if you get greeted as a visitor or if people are reluctant to engage you, uh, that can happen too. If, if you have the habit of showing up one Sunday and then again you disappear for six, seven weeks, how much time does a person really want to invest talking to you if they've seen you do that over the years because really your comfort your convenience is is great. I, I again, I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but um, I just think about how radically different our church is since COVID. Yeah. Once we start worshiping again, all of those transplants and then other people not. So people came in and they're like, "Wow, this is different." It's like, yeah, the church didn't freeze in space and time while you left for a period of time. Right. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, so, what should you do? Uh, <laughs> First, maybe we would say that you need to just take stock of where you are in attendance. Go back through your calendar and mark all the Sundays you actually gathered, and you might be stunned to see how little you're there. Um, we, we do this even with those wanting to be part of a small group. For example, if they want to join one and then they're missing all the time, we'll simply remove them and put them in the back of the line. Yeah, yeah, we do the same thing. Um, it, it's funny, the people who will say, well, I want to be part of a small group, and then we show them their attendance because we told the small group leader to keep attendance and show that they're there maybe 25% of the time. It's like, do you really? Because <laughs> your numbers don't show it. Yeah. And again, nothing but excuses. Well, you have to understand, it's like we're not debating whether or not these things are happening, but at some point to belong to a group means you are there. And 25% of the time is not being there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with the with the work situation, that's a big one. You okay? Yeah, sorry. My knee just oh. popped out. Uh, <laughs> it's in. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> um, with the, yeah, this one's always tricky because it's kind of like, well, I, I'm in my job. What am I supposed to do? Just, um, and we would say if, if, if this is a conviction, if this becomes a non-negotiable in your life, uh, 
because it's been shaped and formed by the scriptures, we would say, why not trust the Lord to provide another job for you? And then, I mean, start actively and aggressively looking. And then once he does, because it's a good desire, um, quit your job. After he provides. After, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But it sounds so radical to Western ears, doesn't yes. it? Because we're so geared and oriented around the career and money, and we also find so much identity and meaning and purpose in our work. And it's not like that's evil in and of itself, uh, but there is a balance there, I think. Um, and you might ask, well, it's going to pay less. And our response would be, yep, so what? Um, again, what's the driving factor of your decision? What's the goal? Your decision-making should not be based upon what pays more, but what allows you to be most, most faithful to your Lord. Um, and so again, what lie are we possibly believing um, that blessing will be found outside of what he has ordained for us? So the non-negotiable that we just belabored is go to church. Yes. Right. So, what what kind of activities do you guys frequently do on Saturday nights? Um. Um. Nothing. Um. Yeah. I, in fact, I just taught a vision and values course for the new members one, and I told them we are typically shutting down by about six. And meaning your home, our home. Yeah. Uh. I mean, we're doing the baths for the kids and showers, and I'm usually working through a sermon one more time, but um, we don't plan things for Saturday nights. We don't have, unless it's like an exception, we typically don't have people in our home or go anywhere else. And it's the weekend, and I know that's when people have off, and so we're invited to a lot of things, and we just, we say no. Um, and there's exceptions to that. It's not like this hard and fast rule, but as a general principle, we're shutting down in the evening so that we can be up and alert and ready to serve on Sunday mornings. Yeah, and that that's our rule as well. Uh, so about six, seven o'clock was bedtime for the children. So by six, the baths are starting. Uh, before eight o'clock came around, the, all the clothes had been laid out. Everything is prepared to make Sunday morning not a time of sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Because you already have enough challenges just with uh, life. Um, but we... we to this day, even though now we're in our 60s, um, Kim and I do not go places Sunday evening. If we do, Saturday we, evening. I'm sorry, Saturday evening. And if we do, it's we leave early. And it's amazing to us still how many church members will, will come to a house and then they're like, oh, you're leaving so soon? And we'll just say, we want to prepare, be prepared for Sunday. Oh, okay, we'll have you. And the next day, either they're not there or they're so tired, and they're like, oh, man, yeah, yeah it was a late night. And I'm like, and yet you're, follow your pastor's lead. He, I mean, he, yeah. maybe he's got some wisdom in that. But we, we learned that before we were pastors um, uh, at Grace Community Church. It was really part of it. And we had to be at church. Church started at 8.30 in the morning, hmm. and we had a half hour to 40-minute commute. So four children— commute. We have to be at church at 8.30. I mean, that's when it starts, so we had to be there at 8. Um, and yeah, you, you don't play around. So again, folks, it, if until you make that really your non-negotiable, um, you're going to struggle. You're, you can't be a faithful, available, teachable individual if you're just not showing up. Right. So another one, give. Um, none of these are really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty simple. Real simple. So 
uh, Christ said, uh, he commands, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. There's that uh, uh, dual heart thing again. Yep, yeah. uh, it's all over the place. Yeah. In fact, all of John, First John is yeah, he's that, right? Ruthless. Um, yeah. And the fact that it shows up all the time, one, isn't surprising because the Spirit's inspired, but also these are directly taught by Christ, mm-hmm. these men, and so you can see that influence. I, I think it is interesting. Um, so the command is very simple, but a lot of effort <laughs> is given by people to softening it. There's two options for you, you get for your storing of your wealth, and two end results are promised. But the reason is simply that it's all about worship. Your heart follows what you treasure. So that section about the eye as a lamp, it confuses a lot of people, but it's actually very simple. The eye here speaks of what you yearn for and focus upon. So in the context, it's an eye that's fixed on eternity, or it's an eye that's fixed on wealth. One is life, and one will be darkness. Uh, this is very interesting because often people without, withhold money because they're waiting until things get better. But all they're really doing is actually going deeper into darkness. Uh, if they think they keep, if they they think that if they keep moving forward, then light will eventually come. But actually, it's behind them, in a sense, because they have to repent. They have, they need repentance. I, I remember telling a young man just getting into the corporate world, he finished school and he's like, yeah, I, I don't really give. He was like, proud of that? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I, I don't really give right now. I just can't afford to. He's like, but you wait in about 10 years, I'll be making bank. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's what he said. And, and then I'll give. And, and, and it's going to be substantial. And I told him, I said, that's a lie. Yeah, no, you I, won't. Yeah. yeah, I said, if you're not giving now, you won't give then. And he, it really took the wind out of his sails. But I'm just like, dude, you don't even understand what's going on. And so we, we hold that one, that one simple evidence of a fat Christian is really seen in how they handle money, not just giving, but where that giving is focused. Does it reflect a love of the local assembly of which they're part? Does it reflect a hope that's outside of the here and the now? Um, if you're only giving out of what you have left over, then you've already answered that question. Um, if, you, if you view your savings account as your security, You've answered that question. I, it's a, actually a pet peeve of mine. I, they're, they're, I'm not against saving, but there are people who save for the sake of saving rather than save so that they might be generous. Does that make sense? A totally yes. different thinking. It's like, well, I can't, I can't afford that. Oh, you don't have any money? No. And then you find out, no, you do have money. You just don't want to spend it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, then why are you saving? 
and it's for this vague fear. And it's like, God has literally provided you the means to do this and to help in this way, to, to be generous, and, and you're withholding it because yeah. of that. I, I, I don't feel safe. That, that, again, is that lack of spirit that we just talked about. It's not just giving. It's how, what, where's your focus? Um, does it reflect that love of assembly? Uh, does it reflect a hope that's outside? And and when that begins to motivate you, you you find uh, it's it's a really beautiful thing um, because you start to wonder why not rather than why should I? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't I give that? Why don't I support that? So anyhow, yeah. Um, and uh, another one would be uh, serve. So make serving a non-negotiable. This is a challenge your consumeristic culture that uh, shops around for churches based on what the church can offer them. Uh, but 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then the key is verse 17, so that, so here's the purpose of that, the man of God may be e- adequate and equipped for every good work. Um, so again, notice that purpose statement. The goal is not knowledge. Goal is not good teaching. The goal is not merely sound doctrine. Rather, that is all simply a means to a greater end, which, as he says here, is good works, that you might be equipped for every good work. Uh, Our Reformed expository preaching tribe, I'll just call it that, tends to rail against the consumeristic church, and that is right. That's a good thing. Uh, However, many who are zealous for sound doctrine and like to publicly rail against all that is false and aberrant, uh, they don't realize that they too tend to be consumers. Yes. Right? Their, their product, though, is just different. Uh, they're consumers of good teaching. Uh, so they sit in the pew. They're going to nod their head. They'll post quotes and sermons on social media, all the while functionally denying the very goal of that sound teaching. So let us put it bluntly. If your right knowledge doesn't lead to consistent obedience in a life that increasingly produces good works, you're fooling yourself. Uh, and in terms of eternity, you're putting yourself into a very dangerous position. Uh, in fact, <laughs> let me make this statement. You would do better to actually go to a church with a weaker pulpit. Now, let me explain. Uh, Luke 12, 42 through 48 gives us a, an indication why. Do you want to read this? Yeah. Um, so many things I want to jump in and say, but I'm going to let you say your stuff. Um, so Luke 12, 42 to 48. And the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming and be begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. That's not real gospelly. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. And from everyone who has been given much shall be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Good. 
Yeah, so, so I know where you're going with this. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, so here, yeah, Jesus, he's talking about the faithful and the unfaithful servant, or you could just say a fat Christian and a non-fat Christian. Uh, a skinny Christian? <laughs> sure. Um, so, so it is important to be in a sound church. I mean, we'll all agree with that. Uh, four, you must be rightly equipped if you're going to produce good works. But don't fool yourself. Jesus requires that your equipping actually lead to good works. So if all you ever do is store up sound teaching, but it doesn't produce an increase in fruit, you're putting yourself into a more dangerous position because much now is required of you, and there's no neutrality on that. Um, so we, we, I mean, I, I'll say this for me, we genuinely fear for our churches at times, um, many come because they want a strong pulpit, they want sound teaching, but pastorally it can create a little bit of fear in us um, because it's a double-edged sword. Um, we know that we must faithfully equip, but we're also aware that many choose not to heed, uh, and that won't age well for them before the Lord um, and puts them into a worse position. In fact, um, I've said this in, in different ways over the years, but I haven't said it in a long time. You know, there's people who... They love to take notes and gather notes, and, and so they're always listening, and they're taking just reams of notes. I mean, all over the place. It's, it's a thing of beauty how much they take their notes. And then they faithfully put them in some drawer or on a shelf, you know, and never again go back to them because all they really were doing was taking notes, um, and nothing really changes. And on the day of judgment, if you will, um, those things will rise up and smack you over the head. All of those thousands of pages of faithful notes that never were acted on um, will be there as actually a witness mm -hmm. against you. And you're right. The people who, the ones who tell you, man, I got really convicted today, it's like that means nothing if right. you don't act on it, nothing whatsoever. And so, but the, the bigger point that you were saying is you need to serve not just sit there and come and be a consumer of sound teaching while you literally will do nothing in the way of serving then the needs of the church and the people, right? Right, absolutely. Um, so there you are. Be a fat Christian and get some non-negotiables in your life. Um, so we, we hope this helps or at least um, gets you thinking a little bit. Uh, we do know that many want to grow, many want to be used, and so we do pray that this gives you a place to start. And next time, Lord willing, we'll talk about something else. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Let us know your thoughts on being a fat Christian. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And tell a friend. Mm -hmm.